Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. When I was pursuing my doctorate degree, um, I'd actively chosen to focus on um, the work of Black women and girls in community. And I knew both in my own values and intuitively that I wanted the work that Black women and girls were doing in their everyday lives to guide um, what my chosen kind of field or subfield was going to be. Um, so I used to just spend time like literally just being in community, um, whether it was um, being at community events um, held by just well-respected community institutions from juxta local churches, or when developments were coming and there were debates in community and the local neighborhood association was going to host an event to have community come present to share their thoughts or perspectives. Um, I was volunteering at one point for the Northside Opportunity, Northside Opportunity, is it Northside Economic Opportunity Network? Um, and I got a chance to really learn more about um, both some of the investment that was coming to West Broadway and Laurie. I did some canvassing of businesses um, as a part of volunteering. I just got to meet folks. And I remember uh, in that setting was when I met Ethropic um, E. And I got to learn more about E's story. Um, and I'm at this point, E has now returned to the North Side. Um, and I was really blown away um, by this story. In the 1990s, the Holman versus Narrows lawsuit against the Minneapolis Public Housing Authority resulted in a settlement that prompted the demolition of 770 public housing units in the city of Minneapolis, particularly North Minneapolis. As a result of that settlement, a variety of new housing resources, including developments of new units in Minneapolis and the surrounding suburbs were created. In the 90s, when her oldest was in elementary school, Ethropic Burnett and her family became one of the first Black families to take advantage of the opportunity to settle outside of Minneapolis when they moved to Chaska, Minnesota. Ethropic, also known as E, has since returned to North Minneapolis. She's a single mother and has spent more than a decade doing equity and engagement work in the community, and now works as a special projects coordinator for the city of Minneapolis. As a part of the Holman settlement, there was an opportunity for Black families who were living in the former public housing units to move to scattered South housing opportunities in the suburbs. My understanding in this moment is the deep awareness you have right now was not how you were entering going to Chaska. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was not how you were thinking no, about No, it was not how I was thinking going into Chaska. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> so, paint a picture for us because at that time, 
you were featured in a lot of news articles, media outlets, etc., to being one of the first families. What was that like? Um, what were some of the conversations you were having with the media? How are they using your story? Um, so I would tell you when I first, uh, I, I'll tell you, I can remember the lady name. Her name was Jan Hughes. Um, and she presented this opportunity to me. I was working at Children's Hospital and I thought I can go out there on lunch, girl, okay. on my lunch break. And I realized it was a whole hour. I was like, oh! <laughs> and, um, I would say that, you know, living in Chaska had its good and its bad for me and my family. Okay. Um, the good thing, I would say that my children did get a get on the bus. Mm-hmm. I would say that my children did uh, get the opportunity to have good quality education. Mm-hmm. Um, that I my children did have, uh, have the opportunity to live in a safe neighborhood. They didn't have to worry about you know, stepping over needles or any of those things, right? Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of negatives too, Dr. Lewis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can remember my my daughter, number three, um, first grade, I believe it was first grade, her first grade teacher told me that her hair was a disturbance to the class. Mm. And I had to learn how to get this fighting spirit and turn this fighting spirit to another way because I was ready to knock that lady upside the head. How dare you tell me that my daughter beads mm. is a distraction to the class and mm. that um, my children's hairs, uh, that I would braid their hair up and put beads in because it was easy. I had all girls. Mm-hmm. You're you going to sit down. You next, you next, you right. next, you next, because it could stay. Um, and so my children and my daughter right now today, she remember that. Mm. That traumatized her. That that first grade experience about her hair to the day to wears, I had to constantly tell you can't wash your hair every day, um, you know because because of that experience she thought she had to be white. Mm. She wanted to start bleaching her skin, um, mm. and um, didn't want beads, didn't want to wear, didn't and and so. I had to make for sure that my children was could stay connected and they stay grounded in the midst of getting the opportunities. Mm. And that was a struggle. But God. <laughs> help, help me. Because we got to dial back. <laughs> so help me understand how you reacted and supported her through... Um, like questioning her own value as a black girl. Like how, I don't know if you were expecting that. I wasn't. <laughs> as a mother um, who had, you had an upbringing where you had the opportunity to be around your family in a very connected way. Well, that's not her early truth as a first grader. No. Um, so when did you notice or have a dialogue with her knowing that she was questioning her own value as a black girl? And what was your approach? So for me, I had to go back. First of all, I believe in prayer. I believe in God. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe in my faith and I pray. And I also had to go back into my childhood and remember mm-hmm. the black leaders. I had to remember that I worked on Harold Washington campaign as a little kid. I remember Dorothy Tillman, yes. Bobby Bobby uh, Bobby Rush, and 
um, you know, so I had to go back and I had mm-hmm. to go back in the fact that I had black teachers. I had to go back and remember the things that my grandmother, my great grandmother, my granddad would tell me. And I had to get that out from the from my gut and bring it up and mm-hmm. feed my children, feed my children that. And and I also had to make sure that they stay connected. So we was always predominantly a member at Shiloh. Mm-hmm. So we would always come north to go to church. And and they would always come get us because I didn't have a vehicle. Sometimes my mm-hmm. car would break down. And so they would they would come from North Minneapolis all the way to Chaska. Bishop Howe would make sure that I, me and my children got away to church mm-hmm. every Sunday, every wow. Wednesday, everything. And he knew that. And so... Every time church door was open, they came to pick me and my children up because I I had to have that connection to show my girls that who they are mm-hmm. and that they are wonderfully made. Even though we are living in the area where mm-hmm. we don't see people that look like us, we can't even go to the store and get greens. Um, but I'm going to show you and I'm going to make for sure I give that to you while you still get these opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I had to seek it. I had to find it. I had to stay prayed up. I had to seek it, find it, and fight for it. This is Disruptive Narratives. I am your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. So when did you know it was time to leave? Um, I would tell you that at first I didn't know it was time to leave because I had, you know, got activated in Chaska. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted them to see me and my children for people and not for the color. So I was very active. Mm -hmm. I got on the PTO board. I was very active in their schools. I became the Girl Scout cookie mom. I did everything I could with my kids for them to see us as a family and not see us as a number or a Section 8 or low-income recipient. Um, I ended up being on Carver County Commissioning because I wanted them to know that um, uh, they was opening up housing, more housing, and the community was like, oh, e, they they not going to act like you. They not going to sound like you. They not going to... And and I was like, what you mean, like me? Like, um, I'm not the person that talks is so mm. proper and educated. And I was like, what do you mean, like me? They are me. We all one paycheck away from being put out. Like, y'all might live in a house and the bank might take six months to come put you out, but we still mm-hmm. in the same situation. What do you mean? Oh, we don't know about getting open up housing because, you know, they don't, they might not act like you. You can articulate yourself. It, you know, they don't, you know, like, you know, you know, I was coming yeah. up with blue hair, red hair. You know, I was just like, you know, like, you know, and I was like, this is my hair. This is who we are. I would show up okay. in, you know, dashikis and like, you're not going to run me out. Yeah. So I had to stay strong myself in order to stay strong for my children and also show the community at that time that they stinking thinking. So. The first thing that comes to me is that it seems like at some point you took on this role of feeling like you needed to stand your ground <laughs> and prove something. The question is, prove it to who and and to whose benefit? So who do you feel like you were having to prove? What were you trying to prove? Um, 
That's a good question, Dr. Lewis. Um, I think I was trying to, at that time, and still is, I will say still is, trying to prove that just because we need um, affordable, dignified housing does not mean it come with all these other labels. Does not mean that I am uneducated. Does not mean that I am a drug addict or a drug dealer. Does not mean that I am what they used to say, you know, oh, black moms is just welfare king. I mean, queens, you know, they just having babies to get welfare. Um, so I was fighting to prove that negative wrong. Okay. Um, I was also fighting to prove that um, being in a predominantly, um, as Myron Orf, what's that man's name? Myron, Myron Orfield. Yeah, I would yeah. say that, uh, <laughs> that me and my children did better because we lived in a predominantly all-white neighborhood in predominantly mm-hmm. working class. But that was not the case because the moms didn't work, right? Majority of the moms in that time, at that time was not working. They were stay-at-home moms. They had houses. They went to Mexico every February. Um, they went up north to their cabins. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't got, I ain't got no cabin up north. I wasn't able to go to Mexico. You know, <laughs> their 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 schedule got to dictate the school schedule. And it just my my knowledge just started opening up. My I would say third eye would start opening up. Mm-hmm. And uh, my journey back to Minneapolis. Was all God. It was all God, mm. Dr. Lewis. Um, um, my first daughter um, went on to college. She was um, very determined uh, to go to HBCU. Um, she was like, Mom, you know, um, she graduated Chaska High School. She was like, you know, um, I can't do this anymore. She was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I need to be around more black and more black educated people. I can't do this. She was like, I don't want to go to the school. She was like, I know to you, I don't want to go here. I need to see mm. other black people thriving and, and and I need to see this. And I was okay with that. Um being a helicopter parent, I was like, oh you're going to Florida? You're going to Bethune Cookman? Oh my God, you know, but I needed for her to have that. And I needed for her to be able to experience that. And so my children, you know, when she got a, when she got accepted into college, you know, and me not knowing that I supposed to have all this money saved away for her to go to college, I'm like, I'm going to scrub the college floors if I have to. Like, you're going to get there. I don't have the money that our community people had at that time. You know, I didn't know. They, they had lots of money for their kids to go to college. You know, they could sell their houses or find, you know. I didn't have none of that. And so... My daughter was going away to college, and uh, she decided that her and her friends wanted to go live off campus. Okay. And when she did that, that dinged the uh, uh, CDA, because it's a CDA in the, okay. in the uh, Scott and Carver. It's called the CDA. It's not CDA or HRA places, right? They're a little different, but they still work with public housing, oh, but see. they're small. And so they contacted me and was like, oh, you know, your daughter Jessica is, you know, so she's no longer on your lease, yada, yada, this. And uh, so you got to move, you got to downsize. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And so, and they wanted to move me to another better opportunity. Girl, where? On, and on Pryor Lake. <laughs> and um, 
And this this opportunity that was in Prior Lake okay. um, was on a like a dead end street um, with a hill. You know, this is Minnesota. Um, and all I kept thinking about was my little raggedy van gonna go sliding down this, you know, like I didn't, you know, my, you know, I wasn't like at a point where's my cars, you know, so, and I, I didn't understand that. And I was like, you want to move me further? Mm. And then you want to push me to Scott County and push me further? And, um, I didn't understand that. And I was like, well, let me buy this house that I'm in. And they said, no. And I was like, that don't make no sense. So you'd rather move families around. You'd rather uplift and move families around based on the fact that one child is 18. And 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 I, I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And I it was like, no, this is not right. Why are you up? Why are you moving families? They they might have children in school, they got other children, they might have a job, but just because now their child is 18 and quote unquote the government said that they're grown. Now you're being penalized. And I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that don't make sense. If you say you're for families, why not support the whole family? Mm-hmm. Why are you destroying the family? Why the family have to keep moving based on the child being 18 and now they've aged out? Now your voucher or your um, subsidy or your um, rental assistance, um, your housing voucher, your housing choice voucher might have went down. The amount you pay might have went up um, and you might have to move. Wow. And I didn't understand that mechanism. And I didn't understand why they didn't even want to sell the house to me that they was renting. And I was like, you know, I'm, I got a nice job. I can afford it. Got my credit together. And they was like, no. But God. Okay. And that's how I got to North Minneapolis. <laughs> okay. So you did not take any of what they were selling? No. And you were able to find a place in North? Yes. Did that mean that your the CDA, mm-hmm. that your status there was eliminated by moving north? It was. And, okay, were you comfortable, confident in leaning into breaking that status? Um, so I did have um, some nice women that worked at the, uh, I had one lady, her name was Melissa, I now forget her. And she was like, you know, E, I could see that you really want something different. You're not like the rest of my clients. I could see that. And so I was like, I want to get into home ownership. I, I'm not, I don't want to go through this cycle. Y'all not going to just yo-yo me. And um, so I started thinking about home buyers. And so she started like sending me things. And then I started like questioning other stuff. And then I, of course, I was going to Shiloh. So all of my really social connectiveness mm-hmm. was still here in North Minneapolis. And my best friend was here. Okay. And um, and so she had bought a house and she told me about it. And she was like, oh, there's different housing. So I started looking at all the different housing opportunities as a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I knew that I wanted something where my children didn't have to move, constantly move. And I also wanted stability because I have my niece and nephew um, due to my sister being killed to a domestic homicide. And so I wanted stability. And I didn't want them to ever feel like they had to move because they was 18. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the opportunity for that stability was in North Minneapolis. I would see fathers, fathers who the media would say don't exist. Mm-hmm. out there putting their kids on school buses 
I would see fathers going to the school. I would see young people, families, scooping up the weeds out the sidewalk. I saw people, neighbors come together. And I felt like I was at home all over again, irregardless of what the media might have said about drugs, gangs, or whatever, the negativity. I felt at home because I saw community. I saw people standing together. I saw people that was giving out cups of sugar without looking at you sideways. I saw people doing daycare without you paying them, without you having a daycare assistance voucher. I saw that, and I was like, that's home. That's family. That's village, irregardless of the bad air that they had us breathe due to the plant down here on Washington, irregardless of the not having the full staff of MPD pre-George Floyd. Um, I saw community, irregardless of the slumlords, mm. because they would come, we would come together and pull the wood and fix your floor, even if that landlord didn't come fix it, but he was charging you $1,500. I saw that. And I wanted my kids to feel that community and feel that community from their people and not be quote unquote retro racism because black people can never be racist. Mm -hmm. But they teach us that. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. As you described both your coming back to North, things that you had to either face or unlearn or challenge yourself around. You mentioned um, you mentioned your sister, and it sounds like you actually took on raising her children. Correct. Um, after her passing. Correct. So where, how does your sister's passing and what happened with your sister impact this transition? Um... So my sister was actually living in North Minneapolis when um, she got murdered. And um, I was still living in Chaska. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of like um, also put a, a net like, oh, I'm not going to move to the city. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to stay out here and keep the kids in the suburbs. And it was used to, you just, step up and take care of your family and you figure out how you make that and you figure out what's your next step. And so my great aunt who predominantly raised my grandmother showed me that. And so she showed me that you got to keep moving and that, so what if you got a small house, that small house is still y'all house. Mm -hmm. And as long as you got a space to make a, get you a cot, you okay. You get a blanket, you on a couch, you on the floor, you okay. Cause it's yours. Your family always has some place to stay, and nobody can come put you out. It's been quite the the path. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we mentioned before that there was media coverage when you left, mm -hmm. and there was media coverage when you came back. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the difference in the language around the media coverage when you left and when you came back? 
I would say that um, the first media coverage, I was very non-educated on media and how they twist and turn. The very first time they did a story on me and my children, you know, I was called my mom and they all came from Chicago. All my family, I had nothing in the house. And they did a story on us Thanksgiving, all this family moves, first family moves to Chaska. And, mm-hmm. you know, not having the knowledge of media and communication, I was like, oh, we on the news, we're going to do a little story. But then I I read it and I, and I watched mm-hmm. it and it kind of depicted like, we did good for this black family. Look at this black family that the government did good by, mm. right? Okay. That's, you know, hindsight, right? I looked at it, right? And even when I came, you know, from that media of moving to Chaska to the media of moving here to North Minneapolis, different. Okay. Because that media told the story of poor black family, quote unquote, gets housing, get this great opportunity housing in this 410 neighborhood. Look at all the advantages is, you know, this gonna bring opportunities gonna open up for this single mom. Um media coverage and moving to North Minneapolis was more empowering. Mm-hmm. It was more of and I, I can I can own it and say that it was empowering because my cousin is a homeowner now. Um I have um, mentors who are buying homes and calling me and telling me, hey, Miss E, I'm buying my house. Hey, Miss E, I got a better job. Hey, Miss E, I went back to school. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so the benefit of moving to North Minneapolis is that. Mm. Is that, that my cousin has a house that they didn't even want to sell her because they didn't know she was black. And the man refused to sell her this house in Brooklyn Park because how dare you as a black single mother able to own this nice plot of land. I had a friend and now she owns a house. And I and, and the more and more, and I'm seeing more and more, especially for the housing market, you know, the prices got ridiculous. Um that the switch, the the click was being made that, oh my God, mortgage is cheaper than rent. And guess what? And I got leverage. And guess what? I can able to do this and do this and do that and do that. Compared to just getting a um, CRP, right? And the landlord making money off you. So I see the benefit because um, I see one of my best friends, she's going through the home ownership class. She's like, hey, you know what? Now, I, you know, she's working downstairs and now she's like, I wanna do this. You know, I saw your trajectory. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when people see your struggle and they see where you came from and they see where you are and it's relatable, it's not, we are the same. We are the same. I am not higher. I am not lower. We are the same because we are quite, we encounter the same things. So it's empowering to see that I see black women and black families buy homes. Mm -hmm. I see them staying regardless of the gunshots. Yes. Is it bad? Yes. But guess what? They are staying, they're staying together and they're standing against the lack of economic development in North Minneapolis. To hear our full conversation, visit camojfm.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of Camo J Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. 
made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson, edited by Abdi Muhammad, music by Jerome Rankin. <laughs>